Beyond the fact that feeling good feels good, what is the role of positive emotions? This is a question that psychology has largely ignored throughout its history, focusing primarily on psychopathology, on anger, anxiety, sadness, and such. Today's guest is going to speak to us about the importance of positive emotions for success, for health, for well-being. She is the Keenan Distinguished Professor of Psychology and Neuroscience at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She has published more than 100 peer-reviewed articles and book chapters, and her books have been translated into more than a dozen languages. Among the most highly cited scholars in psychology, her research is funded by the U.S. National Institute of Health, and she serves as president of the International Positive Psychology Association. It is a great privilege to have Professor Barbara Fredrickson on Happier Talk. Hi, Barbara. Thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. So, Barbara, you, you've been a pioneer in the area of positive uh, emotions. Maybe we can start by talking about why positive emotions are so important beyond the fact that it feels good to feel good. Right. Well, certainly, uh, yeah, it, they're uplifting, warm-hearted states, and we'd rather feel those than feel pain and, you know, suffering. But I got interested in this very early on when psychology was beginning to uh, appreciate emotions again, because there was uh, many, many decades in psychology where they were just off limits for scientific study. And I noticed that the only emotions people were talking about were negative emotions. And, and we were developing theories of why humans have emotions, you know, how it contributes to, uh, how it contributed to our ancestors' survival. There were no explanations for positive emotions, no satisfactory explanations for positive emotions. So that's what drew me in, really the intellectual puzzle about, you know, why, why is this a universal human experience? What benefit does it have? Mm. And, and what did you find? What are, uh, what are the benefits? Yeah. Why, why evolutionary speaking? Right. Why? Well, when I first started, a lot of people would say, well, uh, negative emotions are about survival, positive emotions are about reproduction. And I thought, there's got to be more to it than mm. that because we experience positive emotions in so many contexts, not just related to mate selection and mate retention. And so I got interested in trying to solve the riddle of how positive emotions contributed to survival, even though they occur in situations that are not life or limb threatening. And what I noticed from my own work and from the work of a few others who were look looking at this, that one aspect of positive emotions is that they broaden our awareness. We knew already that they contributed to creativity and uh, an enlarged sense of self or an expanded sense of self. And so I thought this might be a clear um, aspect of positive emotions that contributed somehow to their ability to impact on survival. And what I've learned, uh, what I proposed with my broaden and build theory and then tested in the laboratory and in field experiments is that Positive emotions do open awareness. We see this in brain imaging studies. We see it in eye tracking studies and behavioral studies. And that uh, little by little, these uplifted states that open our awareness, even open the way we move in the world in terms of the way we carry ourselves, um, uh, they contribute to 
uh, increases in resources, increases in resources and resilience. And so when you later face difficult situations, which are inevitable, I mean, we all face difficult situations, we have more resources to bring to those situations. So um, simply not because we had to try to build up our resources, but that by uh, nature's design, we have moments in our lives that help us build social connections and social alliances, that help us learn our environment, that help us to become physically stronger and healthier. And when, we're, when we have those alliances and those um, understandings of our environment, we're better equipped to deal mm, with adversity. More resilient. Mm -hmm. um, so what are some of the interventions? What are some of the things that we can do in our life to, to enhance positive emotions? Yeah. There are a lot of things, but I want to emphasize that emotions are highly individualized, uh, that there's not one thing that's going to work for everybody, and it's really important to engage in sort of a self-study about what is it that brings you joy, what makes you grateful. You know, um, so with that in mind, I think it's important to not necessarily think about the activities, but think about how those activities register in an embodied, authentic, emotional way for you. And when they're registering in, in, in an authentic, positive emotion way, they're, they're going to be use, uh, useful down the road in terms of building our, our resilience, helping so, us be better versions of ourselves. So perhaps uh, a recommendation could be, well, we can think back to periods in our life or moments in mm -hmm. our life where we felt uh, positive emotion mm -hmm. and then just ask how can I have more of these? How right. can I replicate these? Right, right. What could I do now that would bring back this feeling? Um, one of the most um, easy emotions to cultivate out of thin air though is to change the way you're thinking of your current circumstances and shift towards you know what in my current circumstances are a, a blessing to be cherished or a gift to be treasured and that um, kind of reframing uh, the ordinary into a benefit or the extraordinary helps us to feel gratitude, appreciation. Mm -hmm. And so that's, a, that's one that's almost always readily available if we tune our eye to what are the blessings in this situation, what are the, what are the opportunities. Mm -hmm. How personal is this work to, to you, to your life? Yeah. I, I came into it, again, really as an academic and uh, um, you know, trying to understand an intellectual puzzle. But along the way, it has mattered a lot. I, uh, like any academic, I am really driven and I am prone to uh, focus on that part of my life, my professional uh, academic scientific work at the expense of balance. And, you know, around when I was 40, I, that all came to, a, you know, like, you can't sustain this. <laughs> and that's when I realized uh, the answers to what I need are like on my desk, <laughs> piling up here in the articles that I'm producing and in the work that I'm reading of others. And you know, the irony was was just beautiful. <laughs> mm. And so uh, I have found it to be extraordinarily useful in my own uh, rebalancing efforts to try to you know make an important contribution to science, but also make an important contribution to my family and my friends and my community, mm. and just you know to be kinder to myself. So what specifically do you do from what you have learned? Yeah, well, the things that I know really register for me is spending time in nature. And so I uh, take hikes in the woods. I run, run, but only through the woods. Um, 
and I have a meditation practice mm. that really started after I started studying meditation and I thought well I should experience what I'm asking my participants to do <laughs> and so I learned meditation alongside our participants and not in the same sessions but um, at the same time and that really made a difference for me. I first also encountered John Kabat-Zinn's work and in the very first positive psychology course that I taught in 2000, I had assigned my students to take something that should improve their wellness or their positive emotions and practice it for three weeks to keep a baseline record of what their emotions were for two weeks, to practice something new for two to three weeks, to stop practicing and then keep you know read, uh, recording their emotions and I did that assignment along with them with um, some old cassette tapes I had of John Kabat-Zinn and that's where I noticed empirically it made a big difference in my days it made a big difference in terms of m the calmness I could bring um, after a hectic day mm -hmm. so you've been doing a lot of work on um, on love mm -hmm. your book love 2.0 uh, really affected me mm -hmm. deeply and I know many other people can, can you talk a little bit about that important emotion, yeah. that important positive emotion? Yeah. My um, perspective on love really comes out of uh, a serendipitous focus in my research on loving-kindness meditation. I first learned of that in a faculty seminar in integrative medicine, and uh, I had been at the time trying to test the build part of my broaden and build theory, with uh, interventions that you know, on paper should have worked, but changing people's emotional habits is not easy to do. You, know, you can't just say, okay, starting next Tuesday, I'm gonna be a happier person. You, know, you have to put in effort and um, sustained attention to that. And so I learned of loving kindness meditation there, and I thought, I could use this to test my theory. So I was first interested in it just as a way to, again, um, push my understanding of the value of positive emotions further, but uh, true to form, this loving-kindness meditation didn't just let me use it for my purposes, it started to teach me things that mm. um, I had not considered uh, previously. And I have come to see the, uh, the sort of momentary essence of love to be micro-moments of positive connection with others where you share a positive uh, emotion or share a positive sentiment, that there's a sense of mutual concern or care, and uh, sometimes seen and sometimes unseen, a synchrony between the way people are moving, between their neural firings, um, their physiology, and that uh, there's a way in which when you're experiencing those shared positive states that you really come to be acting as one, kind of moving to the same rhythm, understanding the same things at the same time through, um, through a close attention. And that, I think the benefit of viewing love in these micro moments of what I call positivity resonance is that that helps us see how it is that we build trust, commitment, bonds, or a sense of safety in our communities. We, those things are kind of elusive, abstract things that we all want, but uh, being able to see that they come from these, uh, the accrual of these small experiences, I think can be uh, particularly eye-opening. And our research is beginning to 
convince me that uh, not all positive emotions are created equal. At first, when I started my research career, I really thought uh, all of the positive emotions were equally beneficial. And I now think that, you know, we have this super positive emotion, the ones mm. that we share in concert with others. And that, I think, is even, our research is beginning to sh suggest that those are even more important for our physical health mm. than our day-to-day -day positive emotions, which are also beneficial, but it's kind of like uh, um, kind of super nutrients in these uh, micro moments of positivity resonance. Mm. And uh, what it also does, it in, in a positive sense, lowers the bar on what is love. So love right. is not just that, you know, once in a lifetime uh, event, right. um, but it could be a daily, even uh, momentary right. uh, experiences. Right. And then we can seek them and, 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 and bring them on. Right. Our, our broader cultural narrative of love is really... Uh, excluding lots of people because uh, I looked into the uh, the prevalence of people being in a romantic relationship whether married or not and of adults it's uh, fewer than 50 percent so that's 50 percent who are um, haven't found that soulmate or have since lost that soulmate or or um, just are in other ways just living solo and our our popular script of love just excludes Mm -hmm. uh, half of half of our country, yeah. and so I really do like the idea of lowering the bar and changing the focus. And it's true that our romantic soulmate relationships are uh, perhaps some of the most important in our lives. I'm not saying that's not the case, and I'm also not arguing against monogamy, <laughs> which mm -hmm. sometimes people ask about. But I think that when we see the possibility of love and, and interactions that we can have with anybody, even a stranger, um, that there's, uh, there's, a, there's an opening up that comes with that, that uh, gives more opportunities for enjoyment, levity, and health. And I think what's interesting about this is that you're not just improving your own health, you're also contributing to the other person's health through connection because there's a benefit that's happening in, in two bodies, <laughs> not just mm -hmm. one. So that is... Um, I think it, it is really important to kind of offer this new perspective or uh, the the upgrade, <laughs> which is why it's uh, two point oh. Yeah. Um, so, Barbara, you, you're a role model to me and to so many others in in the field of positive psychology mm -hmm. and psychology in general. Um, can you uh, tell me perhaps about one of your role models? Mm. I have so many. Um, one person who inspires me quite a bit is uh, Jane Dutton at University of Michigan. Um, she uh, wrote an article about how I, uh, how I see her as breathing life into situations, breathing mm -hmm. life into one's work and breathing life into friendships and collaboration. So uh, she's one of my role models. And uh, I also have my former mentors who I still have their voices in my head that help me, you know, navigate uh, different situations. And I think, you know, how would Bob do this? How would Laura do this? How would Neil do this? <laughs> so um, that's that kind of stays with me all the time. Well, thank you, and thank you very much for breathing life into into positive psychology, into emotions, and into love. Yeah, and thank you for bringing this out there to more and more people. 
Thank you all for watching Happier TV. For more interviews, for more reflections, for more questions and answers, please join us again. Take care.